Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Peck. church. It's been an exciting morning in so many ways already, but today we're uh, transitioning in this uh, series is going all the way through the gospel uh, of Luke uh, to a new part of the series as we look toward Easter. We're calling it Easter according to Luke, but there's a journey, of course, that we'll take together before we get to Easter Sunday. And so today we're making the turn toward Jesus' final days on planet earth. And we started this series by looking at the circumstances around Jesus' birth. And we went from there into Jesus' origin story, where he came from, and the influential moments early in his life that shaped so much of the ministry that went ahead of that. And over the past seven weeks, we have come to a better understanding of the good news, the gospel message that Jesus came and delivered and brought to us. And over these next six Sundays, we're going to be on a journey to the cross, on a journey to and through Jerusalem with Jesus. Today we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles or some place to look uh, at this story, I want to invite you to open there. It's where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. But I want to start by saying this morning that I have a specific audience uh, that I was writing this sermon for this morning. Uh, I wrote this sermon in particular uh, for those of us who are walking in doubt or who are nervous in anticipation of a road ahead of you that is not certain. And so if this morning that's where you find yourself, I want you to know that you're not alone on that journey. There's a community that wants to walk with you. There are groups here that do, and God certainly sees you in this season, uh, even in the midst of that doubt, even in the midst of that uncertainty. And, uh, And Jesus understands that road. And while I can't fully understand what that doubt may be for you or what that uncertainty may be for you, I want to assure you that I've walked some of those journeys myself, and many of us in the room have. And so as isolating as that may feel this morning, you are not alone and you are welcome. And if this message fails to impact any of you in those places, then maybe this sermon was for me this week, and that'll be enough. That'll be okay. So if you're wondering about the road ahead, if you're struggling with what the will of God is in your life, I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for me right now. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, I think through this story of Luke and this chapter that's a turning point chapter, a chapter where your son Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, uncertain, I'm sure, of some of the journey along the way, but certain of its end. And these disciples certainly didn't know what it meant that you were the Messiah 
and that this path of suffering would be ahead. It's not what they signed up for. And many of us, as we started our journey of faith, had no idea what it would mean when we said that Jesus is Lord, as we've seen this morning. God, some of us uh, have never made a step to follow you, and I pray today might be a moment where they get to encounter you in a real way because we believe you're not just the God who worked in Scripture, you're the God who continues to work in this day, in this age. God, for those of us who are in the midst of a season of doubt, or maybe it's been a long and extended season of unfaith, God, my prayer is that this morning you would show up as you always do, and maybe more so we would be more attentive than we have been before, more open. And sometimes that's a risk because we know when we open up our expectations and our hope to you that disappointment could be there around the corner. And yet we put our trust and our faith in you this morning in the faith of the generations before us, that deposit of faith that has been passed on even down to this generation. And God, we, we ask and we hope again today for a word from you. And this morning toward that end, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that we would have faith that would bubble up within us, that we might be formed in the way of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We pray this together in the name of Jesus and all those who agree said, amen. Luke 9 is the turning point in the gospel of Luke. For eight chapters, Jesus has been born. Jesus has shown his authority through his teaching and through the healings that he offers uh, as he ministers around the area of the Galilee and as he starts his move toward Jerusalem. He's set apart from other teachers. That authoritative teaching is clear as people hear him. There's something different about this Jesus than the other rabbis. But all of that makes me wonder about the expectations that these disciples that Jesus has called to him, what they have for the future. What is it they're expecting at the end of this apprenticeship with Jesus? What is it they're expecting as they go toward Jerusalem in the chapters ahead? And I think that's why chapter 9 is such a crucial turning point, because in this chapter, Jesus is preparing to let his disciples in on what the future holds in a way he hasn't before. But before he does that, he does something that he often does before a big moment. He goes into a time of prayer with God. And if you're in those categories that I find myself in so often, a season of doubt or uncertainty about the future, I want to really ask you to pay attention to what Jesus does, several points in his ministry. So keep your finger there in Luke 9. We're going to actually start there, and then we're going to track back to see how many times this is where Jesus finds himself. Luke 9, verse 18, though, is the first verse I want to read, beginning this story that we'll be in this morning. Once again, when Jesus was praying in private, And his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowd say I am? This is where he goes in the midst of big moments on the journey ahead. And this is a big moment in Jesus' ministry where he's about to tell the disciples exactly where they're headed. And that means that the disciples may choose to run away like many of the crowds have along the way. And so before he has this conversation, he goes to that place of prayer. He goes in solitude with God seems the disciples are there with him in the scene. And this is Jesus' pattern throughout his lifetime. Just think back to this previous moments in our series that we've been through. Go back, if you would, with me to Luke chapter 3. Before Jesus enters into a time of testing in the wilderness, before Jesus begins his ministry, 
Listen to what happens in Luke 3, verse 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In that moment, that moment of prayer, Jesus confirms Jesus' identity. What does Jesus do before he calls his first disciples as he continues on in his ministry? Well, we find that out in Luke 4, verse 42. Listen to this. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And what's he doing in that solitary place? He's praying. He's spending time with God before he makes this huge decision about these men who will follow him on this journey, his disciples. And this prayer actually prompts him to leave the place where he's at and to head to the shore of the Sea of Galilee where he meets Peter, James, and John who will continue to be with him on this journey. What does Jesus do when he gets surrounded by a crowd when all of these healings and teachings begin to gather and swell this crowd around him? We'll pay attention to Luke 5 verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus has this rhythm in his ministry of ministry, of preaching, of healing, of calling disciples. But he also, in the midst of the crowd, gets away to solitary places and he prays on a mountainside here. What does Jesus do before he selects the rest of his disciples? Luke 6 verse 12 tells us, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. I wish we had mountains around here to go to. It's easier sometimes in the locations that Jesus is to find time and to find God in nature there. But I don't know that it matters the place. God is present everywhere. But there are those places, aren't there? There's those places we've connected with God before at campsites and in parks and places in our closet and uh, that certain recliner that you enjoy so much. There are places, thin spaces where God has spoken to us before and Jesus returns to those places in these key moments. The same is true here in Luke 9. And so I want to read again in Luke 9 verses 18 and following this story. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others that, uh, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus is God's Messiah In other words, Jesus is the anointed one. He's the divinely chosen one, fully God, fully man, who will deliver God's people from their sin and to their future. And he's specifically anointed to lead them on this journey ahead. So then I come back to expectations. What do they believe the future is going to hold with this Messiah that Peter proclaims? What do you think the disciples believe the future holds? What do you expect they expected Jesus to do? We aren't exactly sure, but I have to imagine that their expectations are far different from the story that we're going to read in the weeks ahead. 
After all, we we follow leaders who we believe can take us places that we want to go. We follow leaders whose lives represent and exhibit the maturity and the kind of life we aspire to. But when Jesus explains where he's headed, I have to wonder if they're beginning to question if they want to continue to follow him. According to the Gospels, this is the first time that Jesus clearly explains the future that's ahead for him and for the others that are following with him. So I read on in verse 21 and following. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day, be raised to life. And then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? and yet lose and forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. That's not what they expected. And I feel like I need to say something right now because there's some Christian leaders who will not tell you the truth about this. If you follow Jesus, there is no guarantee that things will work out perfect for you. If you follow Jesus, there is no guarantee that you'll live a cancer-free life. If you follow Jesus, there is no guarantee of healing on this side of eternity. If you follow Jesus, there is no guarantee that your kids will choose to follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, there is no guarantee of worldly success or wealth. If you follow Jesus, there's no guarantee things will go as you want them to go. And any Christian leader who guarantees these things speaks falsely. So Jesus is simply a means to an end in your life, we're misusing Jesus. Because remember, we follow a suffering servant. We follow a crucified Christ. We follow a persecuted prophet. And if you choose to follow Jesus, it would be odd for us to expect something different than what Jesus faced. This was a disorienting moment for these 12 disciples. And I'm not sure what their expectations would be uh, exactly, but I don't think it's what Jesus explains it'll be. I'm under no illusion they expected this. Now, I told you this morning that this sermon was specifically written for those of you who are experiencing doubt or uncertainty about the path that's ahead of you. And if that's you this morning, I have some hard news for you. The road may end in death. The path may include suffering. Because anyone who wants to be Jesus' disciple must deny themselves and take up a cross. But that's not the end of the story. And I want you to hear more this morning as well. And what we're going to read next is, I believe, the word of hope that we need to hear on the back end of that news, because that's where Jesus goes with these disciples. The next story is a confirmation moment. It's a moment of hope. And I want us to experience this this morning. As I was writing this sermon, I thought, 
I don't want us to hear about this. I want us to experience this this morning. So for those of you who are filled with doubt and uncertainty this morning, for those of you who are uncertain about the journey ahead, I love the story that follows, and I hope you'll listen again as we read in verse 28 and following. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took John and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he didn't know what he was saying. While I was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. See, in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their uncertainty, in the midst of their disorientation, once on a mountain in Israel, God showed up and orients them again. And as I thought about the experience that they had, I recognized that what we need this morning is not a bunch of words to describe what happened on that mountain. The God we worship is an ineffable God. And what that means is that God is too great to be defined or explained with words. All of the words we're given in Scripture are metaphor, aren't they? God is a rock. God is a shepherd. God is our our hiding place. God is like a... A hen who gathers her chicks, right? God, God is described over and over again with these metaphors because we cannot put fully into words the mystery of who God is. Jesus is our clearest picture. And what that means is that when we experience doubt or uncertainty, we don't need someone to get up and inform us about who God is. We need an experience of the living God. We need a mystical encounter. We need a God who shows up to do what no man or woman can describe because here's what I believe. God's greatest works and experiences with his people did not end in the first century. Our God is not a God who did great things. Our God is a God who does great things. And so as I sat in that coffee shop and thought about this scene and remembered back to what it might have been like, I realized I don't need to preach to you about this. No, the best thing we can do this morning is actually to invite God to show up, or maybe not to invite God to show up, but to invite ourselves to be aware of his presence. The best thing of those of us with doubt and uncertainty could experience this morning is not a word from me, but a word directly from God, an experience of his glory, and a word that confirms our identity and then gives us a who that determines our what. So this morning, I want to invite us to a time of worship. Time of inviting God, inviting ourselves to open up and ask God in the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our doubt, God, would you show up in this moment? Would you speak as you've spoken before? Would you confirm who we are? Would you walk in in the midst of the cloud that we experience and the disorientation and the uncertainty? And would you make things clear for us this morning? Worship is one of the ways that I'm reminded of who I am and who God is. So I want to invite us into a time of worship right now.
I want to begin that time with a prayer, and then we'll sing and worship God together. Oh God, you are not a God who is uh, bound to any prayers that we pray. You're not forced into anything when we ask you to come and do things. And yet I know you are a God who is living and active because I've had those moments of encounter that I cannot explain and put into words, but I know your presence was real and it was thick and it was, it was just clear in that moment. God, some of us in this room, we've had clear moments of decision, forks on the road that, that you have led us uh, on one of those forks and we've seen your presence there. God, I pray this morning specifically for those who are experiencing doubt, who are wondering if you're real and alive and active, who are wondering if maybe this whole story that's written about in Scripture was just something you did in the past. And God, I pray this morning that we might open ourselves up to an encounter with you, that you would lead us and that you would guide us and that you would speak to us and through us and in us. And so God, I pray right now as we sing during this time, as we're reminded of your glory, as we're reminded of who you are, that you would remind and confirm in us who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, and that our journey ahead is not alone, but it is with you. God, I, feel we, I pray that we would open ourselves up to feel your experience, your presence this morning with us, and that we might imagine together as we sing what it would have been like to have been on that mountain. Maybe a reminder in the midst of our plains here in Dallas that that you're present here as well. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is the turning point in this gospel. A move from the uncertainty of the road ahead for these disciples to this moment where Peter and John and James are there to experience this glory, this Certainty, and in the midst of that, it clarifies about who Jesus is and what he's there to do. This is a moment where God confirms Jesus' identity. It was, if there was any doubt or uncertainty after Jesus saying what the road would be ahead, God's word booms through clear in these verses. This is my son, whom I love, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. It's nearly the same phrase that shows up at the baptism scene with Jesus, isn't it? This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And that clear word about Jesus' identity of who Jesus is also clarifies for us in a moment like this who we are. We're the children of God. And when you are confident of who you are, you can more confidently follow whatever what Jesus will call you to. And that word God speaks over Jesus is the same word I believe all of us need to hear this morning. You are my daughter. You are my son, God speaks. And God has chosen you for whatever may lie ahead. My prayer this morning has been that you would leave with more certainty of who you are. And may that certainty about who you are lead you to be more certain of whatever path may lie ahead. Because what it means for Jesus is very specific. The end of this chapter, Luke 9, verse 51. Listen to what's said here and how this moment seems to push Jesus to his moment ahead. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely 
set out for the Jerusalem. And for the rest of this gospel, that's going to be the refrain. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus resolutely set forward to Jerusalem. And the path won't be easy, but with greater certainty about Jesus' identity, it becomes easier for his disciples and it becomes easier for us to walk forward into whatever it is that's ahead of us. We are the children of God, amen? And with that confidence, we too can set out for the road that may be ahead of us. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.